Brethren, if you will, turn with me once again. The passage that was read in your hearing this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll once again begin our reading at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are sound mind, of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, know we, from that now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or reckoning their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This morning I sought to open up, not in a thorough, expository way, this verse from Corinthians, only to, which was my design to pluck, as it will, or glean from this verse some spiritual truths that might help us come to the table of remembrance. It's not my design to preach on the Lord's table, although that is what we're here for tonight but only to help us to come to the table in a worthy manner. If you remember from this morning, from your own studies, the Corinthian church came to the table in an unworthy manner. They came in a careless way. They came in an unfitting way. They did not come properly to the table of remembrance. There was much division in the church in Corinth, and it was not only exemplified in the fact that there was sectarianism and 
them lining themselves behind certain preachers, but they also found themselves divided at this table, which should have been a communion, a gathering of the people of God, remembering the sacrifice that was made on their behalf. So, as I borrowed, as it were, the outline of Dr. Owen, there were nine things in this passage that I sought to glean, or I would like to glean uh, from this passage, that would help us think properly about coming to this table. There were three things concerning God the Father. There were three things concerning God the Son. And there were three things concerning ourselves. This morning, we only looked at three things concerning God the Father. And I should just only repeat those. First, there was the sovereignty of God. He made. Secondly, there was the justice of God. He made him to be sin. And thirdly, the grace of God that he made him to be come our righteousness and he made us to become the righteousness of God in him tonight we want to look at the second gathering of three from this verse concerning the son The first is his innocence or his purity. The Bible says in that verse, he knew no sin. Secondly, we want to look at something of his sufferings. He was made to be sin. And thirdly, his merit, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There are nine points I only took three this morning, and I dare not take all six this evening. Perhaps at a later time, we'll come back where I'll mention what this verse has to say about us, our sin, our deliverance, and the state wherein we are brought because of Christ's death for us. It is good for us to come, and I trust that as I set forth something of an exhortation this morning that we prepare our hearts, not just as we come to the table of remembrance, but every Lord's Day that God gives us, that we would prepare our hearts and not allow the things of the six days to crowd out the activities of worshiping God on the day that belongs to him. So this evening, we want to consider something that would help us appreciate the more what Christ has done. So secondly, we want to consider three things concerning the Son. First, his innocence or his purity. He knew no sin. There are many things in Scripture that direct us to thoughts of the spotless purity, righteousness, and holiness of Christ when we think of his sufferings. He's referred to as the Lamb of God, without spot. 
The scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible tells us he did no sin, nor had any guile in his mouth. The Bible affirms the fact that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Beloved, we had a perfect Savior in Christ. We have a perfect Savior in Christ, and we shall ever have a perfect Savior in Christ. And he had to be perfectly holy to be our sin bearer. It is essential that Christ be without sin, that he might be able to take upon himself the sins of his people. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled, the unclean sets apart for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. When the scripture says he knew no sin, it means that is with a particular knowledge or with a practical knowledge, he knew no sin. With an intellectual knowledge, he did else he could not have reproved it. Christ encountered much sin in the world, and he spoke to that when he was upon the earth ministering. But practically and personally, he knew no sin in himself. We say he knew no sin because he had done no sin. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. And in 1 John 3.5, we read these words. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Ernest, that's the elementary truth. But it's an elementary truth that we must hold on to tenaciously. Owen said, faith should call this to mind in the sufferings of Christ, that he knew no sin. That expression sets sin at the greatest distance from Jesus Christ. As far as the east is from the west, we say in regards to our sins that have been removed from us because of his sufferings. But sin and Christ are infinitely more separated than we can even imagine. He is holy, holy, holy. Just a word here. You can judge where people are spiritually by what they believe and say about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There are a lot of folks who make profession of faith. A lot of folks say they are Christians. Some folks think they are Christians because they live in the Bible Belt. Some folks believe they're Christians because they're Americans. But if you ask them why they believe they are Christians, or what say ye of Christ, you'll find a lot about people's profession when you find out what they believe about Christ. And if they don't believe that the Christ of God was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, then their profession is suspect, if not altogether faulty and damning. I was listening to a sermon the other day, and it wasn't, a ser- it wasn't on sermon audio, and it wasn't on monergism. From time to time, preachers listen to messages outside of their circles. For a pastor, at times it's necessary to be acquainted with what the people of God are exposed to. Sometimes it's good for us to understand what our neighbors and our relatives are exposed to and our friends. We have a responsibility to understand the scriptures and what the scriptures teach about Christ. Well, about God the Father and about the Holy Spirit and what, those, what these scriptures require of us. Pastor Greg preached through Philippians, and we were reminded in Philippians to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He went on in chapter 3, and we heard these words. For many walk of whom I have told you, and often, and now tell you even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Matthew, our Lord Jesus, said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The apostle Paul, when he gathered with the Ephesian elders on the shore, Before his departure, he gave them this exhortation. An exhortation which comes down through the ages to even your pastors here at Grace Fellowship Church. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, Acts 20, 28, and 29. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle starts naming names. Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. There are those who will attack this doctrine of the holy Christ, of the sinless Christ. And such was the preacher I heard just a few days ago. He shall remain unnamed. And I hope these things disturb you as much as they disturbed me.
I can't help it. Peter calls, I like the King James Version, it says these are damnable heresies. Because if people believe these things that are not true in the scriptures, it will land them in hell. Men stand in pulpits and they, and they, and they propound heresy and things that are not true. This, this man, I, I shall not call him a preacher, but he stood there and he is a pastor of a church. And he took his text from Luke chapter 3. Verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. And he used for his subject. Interesting, I mentioned that this morning. This was my practice when I was a teenager. I took a text, tried to get a, a catchy subject, tickle people's ears he said as a subject I, this was his subject I think I want to do something else and then he went on to say this 85% of Jesus' life he was out of order Doesn't that, doesn't, that, doesn't that just do something to you? Doesn't your, your, your blood just boil when you hear something like that? It ought to, brethren. I was saddened because I shared this with some other folks who, who I believe were Christians, and they didn't see anything wrong with that statement. That really hurt. I trust none of you here in this congregation who sit up under the word of God hear such foolishness and not be disturbed by it. He was doing what he was not called to do, he said. 85% he was not flowing in his God-given function. 85% of Jesus' life he was doing what his natural father wanted him to do. Speaking of Joseph, but it did not line up with his divine DNA. He said Jesus spent all this time in the carpenter's shop. Thus, he was not doing what he was called to do. Jesus said, I do always those things that my father has called me to do. This is blasphemy. Straight from the pit of hell. We could pick this apart, brethren, if we just had an elementary knowledge of the Bible. That's not my purpose here. But, but, but it, it, just, it just gripped me when I, when I was studying this passage, and it tells me that he knew no sin. And to hear one who claims to be a herald of the truth propound such heresy. Do you not know that even when Jesus was in the carpenter shop, he was working out a righteousness for us? Do you know when he was building things with his hands? not complaining like some of us do when we go to work. He was working out a righteousness for us. Do you not know that when Jesus was a little boy and he was playing with his siblings and he was not selfish, he was not angry with his siblings and treating them 
in an ugly way? Do you not know he was working out a righteousness for us? He was about his father's business all of his life. It wasn't when he became a preacher at the age of 30 that he began to do what God called him to do. When he came into the earth as the God-man, when he laid in the manger and took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh, when he came into the world like us, but without sin, he was working out a righteousness for us. When we come to the table and we think about our Savior, remember, brethren, when those thoughts of your own sinfulness and how you disobeyed God and how, how you've come perhaps to the table unprepared, think about our Savior who always did his Father's will. He was without sin. He was without sin. Be careful. Be careful about what you hear and be careful about how you hear. Be like the Bereans. The second thing that we want to look at tonight is the fact that Jesus suffered. He was a suffering Savior. He was made sin. God's wrath was poured out on Christ, the suffering Savior. It's a comprehensive word, Owen says, that sets out his whole sufferings. Look, whatever the justice of God, the law of God, whatever the threatenings of God did require to be inflicted as a punishment for sin, Christ underwent it all. Sometimes there is a dreadful comprehension of, of sin when, when, when the word of God comes home to our heart and we're convicted and we feel awful under the conviction of sin. But what we feel when we're convicted of sin and understand something of the judgment that is attached to that sin, Owen says it's only a thousandth part of the evil that follows and separates from the righteousness and holiness of God. We don't really understand how sinful our sin is before a holy God. He, he's given us a glimpse of his ugliness and its heinousness. But brethren, it's an awful thing. God has set his son to suffer in our stead. Think about it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that when we are lost, when we were lost, we used our bodies, these instruments, as servants of unrighteousness unto sin. The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible says there, there is a pleasure of sorts in, in sinning. 
And all of our faculties are employed when we were dead in our trespasses and sins in sinning. So our eyes were used to behold things we probably shouldn't have looked at. Our hands perhaps have stolen things that did not belong to us. We've touched things. We've heard things. We've said things with our tongue. All these are channels that were used by the evil one who had us in bondage to satisfy the desires of the flesh. And when God brings his judgment upon sinners, all those channels and conduits for ungodly pleasures will be channels and conduit for the wrath of God. You think about how beautiful fur feels when you, when you rub it. That's, that's a pleasant thing. It's nice and soft. But for sinners, those nerve endings will be the recipients of God's wrath and holy indignation. The eyes that beheld things that were ungodly. The tongues that spoke things that were slanderous. The ears that heard those dainty morsels will be opened to the wrath and to receive the fiery indignation of a holy God. And Jesus, for his people, endured that wrath. When he was in the garden, he prayed, Father, if it be possible. As he looked in the cup, as he beheld the wrath, the undiluted wrath of God for the sins of his people. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But not my will, but thine be done and he went willingly he went with us in mind to endure all that anguish and punishment because of his love for us he suffered he was made sin for us brother when we come to the table tonight and when the elements are passed and the bread is put in your hand, think about what you've done with your hands that did not please God. But as that bread is in your, in your hand, remember that Christ in his body bore the wrath that we deserve. When the cup is passed, the fruit of the vine, it may just look like grape juice to you. Some churches serve wine, still the fruit of the vine. And it perhaps had a common use yesterday, children, when you had your snacks. Perhaps you used that same kind of bread to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yesterday. But tonight, it has a whole different meaning. 
because that bread is to remind us and that cup is to remind us of our Savior. We're to discern the body of our Lord. We're to understand in an intelligent way what happened on Calvary. Owen says that our Lord was pure and holy. He had no sin. He suffered for us. He took the punishment which we deserve. Then there is the merit. Christ's merit. Which is another object of faith that we should call over into our minds at this celebration, in this ordinance. Why was he made sin? It was that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is answerable to that other expression in Galatians 3. He hath borne the curse, was made a curse for us. To what end? That the blessings of faithful Abraham might come to us. Or that we might be completely made righteous. Made righteous. The design of our assembling together is to remember how we come to be made righteous. It is by Christ being made sin. It's no merit of our own. We have not gathered here because we all root for the same football team. We're not all here because we're from the all, all, all from the same ethnic group or background. There is one thing that unites us, and that's the blood of Christ. We are his people, and we have come to gather here to remember our Savior who has brought us here from every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue. Amen. To remember what he has done for us and how he has put away our sin. How he has aided us in our sinfulness. And called us his own. It is necessary for, for us to have such a savior. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to his mercy that he saves us. And he saved us in a mighty way. And he has procured for us a mighty salvation. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And no matter how sinful you think you are. It's nothing compared to the grace of God. God has purpose to save his people. Perhaps we'll come back and look at what this verse has to say about ourselves. I just want us, brethren, to think about these things as we come to the table and as we think about our Savior. Don't think that because you've sinned, and sometimes people get the idea that because the Bible calls us to examine ourselves that when they discover sin it's like we went for a, 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 a treasure hunt or something and found some sin we know when we've disobeyed God if the spirit of God dwells in us and we're exposed to the scriptures we know as we say the word of God comes down your street and he knocks on your door 
And you think the pastors have been sitting next to you all week. No, it's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit taking the truth home to your hearts. No one's picking on you. It's God who's revealing sin. It's God showing us what he wants us to be and what he does not want us to be. And so, brethren, when you come, you examine yourselves, and so you eat. He didn't say examine yourself and go away and say, well, I can't take that because I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. We'll never be worthy enough to come to this table. Christ has invited us to this table. And why can I come? Well, when you examine yourself and you see your sin and, and the elements are past, you think about your sin and you look at that, 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 that fruit of the vine. And you say, this blood was shed for that sin. And you confess your sin right there in your seat. And you lay faith on Christ and say, Lord, you saved me from my sin. And I've sinned against you. Lord, forgive me. Plead with God for his forgiveness. And look at that cup and say, this reminds me that I have a mighty Savior. And that bread, Lord, you suffered the pains and the agonies of the the unmitigated, the undiluted wrath of your father for me. Examine yourself and come to the table. Come to the table and exercise faith as you have a visible representation of what took place on Calvary for you. It's one thing to say, I believe Jesus is a, is a mighty Savior. I believe Jesus is the Savior of sinners. But it's quite another thing to say he is my Savior. The devils believe and tremble. They don't say that. Brethren, we must say he is my Savior. And he has died for my sin. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So it's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time to thank God for all he has done for us in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All of our sins have been done away, and we are God's children, and we are the family of God. We are in the church universal, but blessed be God, we have this local assembly where we can come and commune and, 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 and take of this supper and remember our great Savior, for he has died for needy sinners, and such were we. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember we are so prone to forget. We are so prone to think lightly of holy things. We confess that sin still clings to us. There are the remains in us of this sin. But Lord, we plead with you tonight that you would help us lay hold of our Savior by faith in this ordinance and that we will recognize that you've called us to be holy and you have given us your spirit and your word and you will aid us in our pilgrimage and you will make us each day more and more like Christ though our outward men perish 
we thank you that we are being renewed day by day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.